Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art and Not Sorry Art School. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. This episode of the Not Sorry Art Podcast is brought to you by Not Sorry Art School. Not Sorry Art School is my online art school I created two and a half years ago to supplement my workshop teaching when the pandemic hit. It became a really great resource where I could put all of my knowledge about representational painting into one space. We add one new section or demo every quarter to Not Sorry Art School, and you don't have to pay a membership fee. You pay one time, and then you get access to all of the past videos and all future videos. Not Sorry Art School has an online Facebook group where I have office hours every Monday, and I answer questions within the Not Sorry Art School Facebook group. And there's also a wonderful sense of community on there where people will share their paintings and get great consensual feedback. I'm really excited about Not Sorry Art School. So if you're interested, make sure to click the link and check out the about page to learn more about Not Sorry Art School. Hey y'all, and welcome back to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari, thanks for being here. For today's podcast, I had the pleasure of chatting with Kiana Piros, the head of growth and community at Backdrop Labs and an expert on Web3. I really enjoyed this chat and in it, Kiana discusses Web3's potential for radically changing who holds the power of the internet and how technology can better serve communities without the drawbacks of social media, its predecessor. Now, I totally understand that if you're not a techie, this topic might not immediately be of interest to you, but one of the reasons I wanted to have Kiana on the show is her ability to distill complicated technical terms and ideas into their practical and real-world implications and the power for change that can be born from a decentralized future. I found Kiana on TikTok at futurelilith.eth, definitely worth a follow. And I've really enjoyed her refreshing perspective on the blockchain technology and how despite early hiccups typical of any new thing, exciting possibilities exist for a Web3 internet that can benefit artists, creators, organizers, activists, and many, many more. In this conversation, we discuss the definition of Web3 and what are its advantages over its predecessors, Web2, again, that's social media, how technology can benefit marginalized groups in ways that social media can't, and the potential for a post-algorithm platform for artists and creators, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation, and if you'd like to learn more about Web3, definitely follow Kiana. I've linked her social media accounts in the show notes, along with other resources that we discuss in the episode. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. As always, happy creating. Welcome, Kiana. I am so excited to talk to you. Kiana Piruz, thank you for being here. You are a Web3 expert. Is that fair to say? Yes, I am really in the Web3 world, but my interests span at the intersection of humans and technology. I love that. Yes. So for a little bit of background, I found you on TikTok. I found most of my favorite things in the last few years on TikTok. But what I really thought was refreshing about your take on technology and decentralization, and we'll get into all those juicy terms in a moment, but what I really thought was refreshing is that you seem to have kind of this, I'm going to describe it as like an earned middle ground. It's not a middle middle ground for the sake of middle ground. It's like people with technology tend to either think of it very apocalyptic in nature or that it's going to sort of blanket save everything. And one of the first things I learned from you was that 
the technology is going to match the energy and the mindset of the people who are there. And I thought that that was a really smart approach and completely shifted how I look at decentralization, web three. I'm curious before we jump into all those terms, you know, how you sort of arrived at this spot and, and maybe Eve, you, you can speak to at large, like how you wound up in this space. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. This is such an honor. I'm so glad that TikTok brought us together. Speaking of technology. Um, yeah, I am a child of the internet. Like I love the internet and I love that the internet from when I was a child was able to be borderless and bring people together based on like shared interest and shared values. Um, and, you know, I've been able to see the internet evolve and that just speaks to my age, but I remember dial up and I remember the advent of social media with like live journal and everything. And I also worked in the marketing and advertising industry in New York city for most of my twenties. And I really got to see the other side of it. So like as what we would call web two, which is social media, I got to see um, like more of the nefarious or maybe risky um, parts of the internet, meaning data mining and surveillance, et cetera. I'm also Iranian, so I'm very familiar with surveillance. So as much as I, I love the internet and I feel like it's so sacred to who I am as a person and the communities that I've been in, I also understand that it's so powerful that it can be dangerous. And when I really started to think about you know, the future of the internet. Um, it was because of loss of communities, like the loss of some communities on Tumblr when Tumblr originally went away due to it being taken off the app store, Apple's app store, because of um, like some inappropriate images and that in effect affected like lots of queer communities, lots of communities of color who were just expressing ourselves. And then I got to firsthand experience the effects of SESTA-FOSTA, which was a policy and is a policy <laughs> that um, erased adult workers from the internet under the guise of human trafficking and like really conflated those two things. And I really started to understand that humans, like we want to connect, we want to connect and there's also this other element of like scammers and bad people. And then there's this like overarching, um, you know, like hand of authority and government that kind of manipulates those two areas and convinces the masses um, that we need to like be protected from each other. And while I agree that that is true, the way that that was handled, especially with sesta Faso, was very nightmarish for marginalized people, sex workers, and just like the adult industry. And that really like shook me. I was, I'm still in mourning over the loss of some communities on Tumblr. Um, and we can see it on Twitter right now. Like a lot of people on Twitter are like, and have been leaving because of the harassment, because the um, success metrics on social media are about engagement. So if you're a troll, you get rewarded for being a troll. Like that means that there's engagement on the site. And so there's like all these big issues, you know, like 
who says what's successful in on the internet that dictates behavior on the internet and then who benefits from that and who doesn't benefit from that and so like these are like the big questions that um really come down to human beings and our human experience that like really inspire me to like take charge and inspire others to influence the future of the internet versus just like exist and then react to it yeah oh man there's so much to dive yeah. in there I kept having to like restrain myself from like continuing to ask I will start by saying I would love to I'm we're gonna get to all of those points I think before we go into kind of the details of that I wanted to try to relay it back to to artists a little bit because I think if you are an artist and you're not sort of maybe self-identify as like a geeky or a techie kind of person this could seem a little out of left field of what is the relevance of, of you know web three to an artist and I want to sort of start out by saying it's not as simple as NFTs. We've all sort of seen NFTs come and go. And I think, unfortunately, that whole what ended up turning into what feels like a bit of an MLM left a bad taste in maybe the art community's mouth a little bit, if I can sort of uh, project there. But I have always been interested in sort of Web3 and kind of what you have talked about with Web3, because I do think artists plug into a lot of those sort of power metrics and, you know, power imbalances and, and structures that you were just speaking to. It can seem really abstract, like it's, you know, it's the government, it's policy. How, how do artists have to do with that? But I think, you know, the art world is predominantly, you know, it's it's this weird mixture of like community sourced in a way, you know, you can find your favorite artist on Instagram. And yet sort of at the top of the art world is this very hierarchical sort of government controlled. And I say that in the, in the you know, meaning that, you know, it's a way to tax and hide money and it, it has interplay there. So my question here is why would an artist be, you know, why is it important for artists to know about Web3 and decentralization? And could we start by sort of saying what decentralization is and then jump into that? Sorry, if that was a huge question. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Well, I will say that um, decentralization is a term that is inspired by the technology called the blockchain and just like to not be super techie about it because I'm seriously like not a super techie person but this is my non-techie answer to that is that like let's take for example um Instagram Instagram is a centralized platform. They call the shots. If they say, if they see that you have something in your artwork that is deemed inappropriate to their standards, they can take your content down and they can take your account down and you don't own that content. Like that's not yours. And that is really like a very subtle form of power, but it's also very extreme. And we've seen that happen. So with decentralization and I am, I, we haven't gotten here yet. Like I, when we talk about like web three and decentralization, they're truly being like, these are concepts that are being philosophized and built currently and experimented with. Um, but the idea is that on a decentralized internet, you own your data and you own your content and whether you want to profit off of that or just own it i think like the value proposition is you know based on each individual let's say artist you would own it and so it gives the users of the internet that right to own 
their content. Um, so I think that that's like really the big promise of decentralization. And when it comes to people in the creative field and just creatives and artists in general, you know, exploring new technologies, um, I would say that, you know, it it's not always about like totally pivoting and saying like, okay, like my art form has changed or anything like that. But I think it's always interesting to perceive these technological advancements as opportunities to like influence them versus just react to them. So I feel like the opportunity really lies not necessarily in like pivoting and making profit and like, you know, like really just like having it consume you, but more, well, what is it? Um, and, you know, what are my opinions on it? You know, these are just questions to ask yourself. Um, how do I feel about this? And like, what are my thoughts on this? And, you know, are there other people who think the way that I think? And can we come together and, you know, talk about it because it's in its nascency, you know, I think NFTs um, are, were very appealing in the beginning because we saw some artists making like legitimate money. And that's clearly like not always the case for digital artists, especially. And so that seemed really promising, but what's the future of NFTs, which stands for non-fungible token, which is <laughs> on the blockchain. Once again, I don't want to get too techie, but what 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 is the future of NFTs when it's not directly related to the crypto markets? Like, how can we find value in this decentralized token when it doesn't have to do with, you know, oh, the market's up, all the artists are making money. Oh, the, art, the market's down, the artists aren't making money. Like, I think that, you know, I would encourage people and myself to like dream a little bit bigger than what we've seen. And I think it just starts with education and understanding a little bit about what this technology is. Yeah, I think that's that's an incredibly good point. It kind of brings up the fact, you know, what you eloquently said in, in the beginning, which is that the way that these technologies are going to manifest is going to sort of reflect the people who are dreaming them up and thinking about it. And, you know, I think one thing with NFTs in particular that sort of happened is we we saw a bit of that. We saw, you know, it sort of had this tech bro stock exchange MLM sort of energy to it. And I don't think that that's as much the technology as it is who were the people who were first picking it up and figuring out what we could do with it. Because yeah. at the center of NFTs is actually a pretty cool concept. Like I've seen people take NFTs and crowdsource like movies that would never get made because of it's so hard to get a movie made and to get it approved. And maybe you're wanting to make the content of that movie something that would never get approved by a typical money source. And so the idea that you could crowdsource that and everyone could own a bit of, of something, even if it is sort of this esoteric digital file, whatever you want to call it. The idea is that there is ways to make it make sense. And I think where it you know, is going to relay back to creative people and artists in general is that you know, that is a group of people who could be the probably the most imaginative with what we could do with that kind of decentralized, you know, community building, community sourcing, whatever it turns into. And so, you know, I feel like sometimes artists feel, I don't know, this apprehension around technology like that, you know, very sensitive to weird energy kind of people. And I almost wonder if we could invite them in and say like, well, maybe you don't have to participate full, you know, jump in the deep end, but 
keep an eye on what's going on and like find communities and be aware of what's happening because you don't want to let people who are going to turn it into you know, a stock exchange basically have the reins on dreaming up this future technology. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say like, like I don't identify as a tech bro at all. And I don't identify as a finance bro at all. And it's so funny. Like I went into web three, like with that, you know, with that in my, I was like, oh, it's just full of like finance bros and tech bros. And, and that is like very true because it is a technology, but what kept me in the Web3 space and community was all the like-minded people that I met, the people who are really interested in the future, not necessarily looking to make a quick buck, but to like really analyze like how the internet has changed our society. And because Web3, the idea of Web3 hasn't like it's not complete, <laughs> it's, it's really in its nascency. There's just a huge opportunity to influence it. And we've saw with Web2 and Silicon Valley, like we didn't get that chance. Like it just kind of happened and it blew up and it started with like poking, you know, like when it, and, <laughs> and so what would happen if there were more people at the table. What would happen if people were, you know, artists and, you know, other creative communities were taking up more space in these conversations? Because I would say right now, a lot of products are being built and a lot of artists are in the world of Web3. Um, but the majority of the conversations right now, they're experimental and they're philosophical. So like that to me is like a very attractive as a creative person. Um, and it's because the landscape of this new technology in terms of the communities, it encapsulates, it's super intersectional um, when, when you like really look beneath the surface um, and beneath some of the headlines. Like I think experimentation is so fun and interesting and you know, the the philosophical aspects of it are as well, because at the end of the day, like we create art, um, but full-time artists create art to live. And, you know, this technology like can really impact that. Not, you know, not to say, not related to what happened with NFTs, but like in the future, looking ahead and like, what are the frameworks? We don't even have those yet. We don't even have the frameworks for what value is, you know, yeah. on the blockchain. And so uh, those are the conversations that are happening. And I think that that's just, that's just very cool. I love that. I know I'm like nodding and I, I just like so many different ideas are sort of firing off, but to sort of like bring in another concept, you know, you said that one-minded person kind of were at the stake of web two and we end up with sort of this Mark Zuckerberg, kind of like the problems that we're now sort of reeling from with people who sort of think in one typical hierarchical fashion, you know, starting all of web two, you know, if, if there was more people who were sort of maybe artists, or if there had been a, I'm just thinking like, if we're dreaming here, if there had been a platform that really the core of its ethics catered to the integrity of art and free, free speech within art, you know, where would we be now? So, you know, we're kind of at that spot at the beginning of web three, where like, you know, web three almost feels like its own medium. And I feel like a lot of what you say in your TikToks and what I'm hearing now is like people who feel maybe like they're outside of or more marginalized 
actually should be kind of at the forefront and part of imagining and dreaming what we could do with Web3. And I want to bring it back to kind of what you said earlier, which was in regards to, I'm going to mess up the name, but it was the policies that affected sex workers. What was it called? Yes, again? Like mm-hmm. yes. And I think of that as That is a group of sex workers typically are a group of people who are, at least in the United States, I don't know what the policies are everywhere else. They are not protected by our policing or, you know, any, any really anything in our our country. And, you know, it's an industry tales all this time. Everyone can have kind of their conflicting opinions on it. But regardless, I would argue that there is a, a case for protection of, of life within that, but there really isn't. And so what I found is, you know, with, you know, web two and blogs and, and Tumblr and everything, you know, um, sex workers were left at a part of position where they found a way with this technology with web two specifically to create their own protections and checks and balance. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm not using the right words here to be able to make sure that they weren't being weren't finding a position where they were vulnerable to the lack of protection like they are in the real world, unfortunately, at least in the United States that I know of. And so I think, you know, I I feel like people who typically fall out of the margins of protection in the United States, I'm using protection sort of lightly, maybe are the best position to sort of make something out of Web3 because they aren't often at the forefront of who we're considering and who the the government and the policies are typically serving. Does that make any sense? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I was going to say like, and this actually relates to the earlier point about the dawn of social media, which we would call web two. You know, even to your point, even if there was a, you know, group of artists back then who were really like interested in like maintaining the integrity of artists, they probably wouldn't, would have been eaten up by you know, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook back then. But the beautiful thing about now is like, we have those insights and lessons. We were all very hopeful and maybe like a little bit clueless back then. I was, you know, like we were like, oh yeah, the internet, social media, like, let me just tag all my friends and all this stuff. And we didn't really realize the implications. So we now know, we now know about all of those implications, which shouldn't, you know, my, my take is that like, that's good information. I'm not going to let it like, you know, scare me into the future, but it's really good information to know. So as we think about people who need protections and marginalized groups and, you know, people who feel, you know, like they don't deserve a seat at that table. I think that, you know, (laughs) generations and marginalized, you know, the new generation and marginalized groups have so much power. I mean, we saw our government during the TikTok hearing, like policymakers don't even know. And so it always starts with the people, like the more that the people know, um, the better off we are so that we don't get hoodwinked and, and so that we can experiment and create and know what to protect and know what the language is. Um, and so I just feel like that's, that's like a form of power, you know, like that is truly a form of power. And, and I think that we might've not had that in web two or the dawn of social media, because quite frankly, like it was super new and like, how would we have known, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. Cause I you think about this a lot with social media where it started out really just like people taking pictures of their food and putting a Valencia filter on. And I think sometimes it's hard to conceptualize 
technology. I mean, I know it's like a really general statement, but you just don't know what you don't know. And it's funny because now I have like a full-blown business, you know, and community and things that feel very like important to like life and humanity, all sort of hinging on social media. But I would have never known when I in college downloaded Instagram. And I feel like there's there could be some of that with Web3 where it's like we don't know its full potential. I'm and I'm not just speaking to like me personally, of course I don't know its full potential, but you know, I wonder as a creative person and as an artist, that always feels like a it, I understand how that can be a scary prospect, but that always feels like the best prospect, you know, I, as artists, we sit down in front of canvases and, you know, get out our stuff to write. And we're kind of met with that. Like this could be anything. And I feel like in some ways, artists are kind of the perfect people, people who I think more people than we know are artistic, but Mm -hmm. are kind of the perfect people to at least have a seat at the table and sort of help envision what web three, you know, can be in the future. Yeah. I mean, I think like, since I've entered the Web3 space, I started really understanding that like what we're talking about is the future, like blank canvas, the future. And um, like to your point earlier, like it is very polarizing to think about the future and technology because it feels like it's out of our control. But like, is it, mm-hmm. you know, like it it are we just comfortable with sitting here and reacting to advancements or can we like participate in those advancements for you know like and and I wouldn't even like put it in the frame of like capitalistic success like a startup making like billions of dollars sure if that's what you want to do amazing but there's also another form of success being like influencing and setting standards and you know, prototyping and just kind of like getting your hands dirty and having fun with it um, to be able to dictate like the next building blocks of the future and to like have the language. Like, do we even have the language? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know other than like art, NFTs. Like, I don't even think there is language, you know, that that like expresses what's possible even with AI, like, and, and I think that like the particip, the participatory aspect and the, the ability to be a contributor to the future and to like, really like harness the like creative energy, um, of like what's possible with technology in the future versus reacting to what is to come. I feel like it's just, I don't know. Maybe I'm like such a blind optimist. I just feel like that's so cool. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's one of the most valid, valid places to put optimism right now. You know, I'm a big proponent in sort of earned optimism, you know, not optimism for the sake of like, I don't want to look at the mess, but optimism in the sense of, well, where is the best place to put my energy? And I think, you know, for me, it's a very glaring community. And I think that Web3, again, can seem really sterile and technology, but I do think that that is kind of a new place for community. I've, you know, we've talked on on, on TikTok, um, you know, about third spaces and sort of we're losing third spaces and that is completely valid and we should push back against that, like in the real tangible physical world. But I also think that the internet is sort of finding itself in a position where it's more and more people's third space. And as dystopian as that kind of might feel, I feel like it's not, I, you know, I don't like to put moralistic sort of language on it. Sometimes things are what they are, but it is an opportunity to connect with people who are outside of your, you know, small town in Texas or rural, you know, home in in Alaska. And you can begin to 
put your energy in other people. And I think that that's one of, that makes total sense that you would be an optimist in that capacity. But I wanted to sort of ask you, you know, if someone is, you know, at this point in the podcast softening to like, okay, well, maybe there's something to web three and they didn't want to just like launch NFTs or, you know, make AI art, like where, you know, we'll get to those things maybe later, but like, where could they put their energy? What, what does it look like to sort of help the good people, whether that's yourself or other, whatever, you know, be at the forefront of web three, like what are, what would the action plans for that be? Oh, that's like such a great question. And I think that you brought up like the key word with that. And that is community. And I know that that's like such a softball, (laughs) but it's true. Like, I think that, and I would just like to say to anyone who's listening, like, I, you don't have to like look into Web3 if you don't want to. Like, it's totally fine. I don't want to be like, you know, please join us. Um, But, but if you do, if you do, you, you can start the traditional path of like, you know, learning about the technology and that might be, that might light you up, you know, but if it doesn't light you up, there's the other path of going to find like podcasts like this one and other conversations and thinkers who are maybe like writing sub stacks about their visions of the future and figuring out like who speaks to you. Like, who do you align with in this space? Um, I can follow up with you, but I basically, like when I started researching all this stuff, I started like logging all the podcast conversations that resonated with me. So I basically now have like a giant podcast playlist of all the conversations in Web3 that resonated with me because I am not a technologist. I am more interested in like the philosophical and like societal, you know, conversations that are happening and like the concepts that are emerging like community ownership um and you know the cooperative ways that people are working together across web3 um so i can send that your way but i think yeah, that- i'll put that in the show notes and i've i will just say i've listened to some of your recommendations and they have been so fascinating so can't recommend it yeah and i think that that's like the fun part too because like you know, phrases and ideas are emerging like that. And that's what hooked me. And like, I listened to, um, Lee Jin, she is, a part of the variant fund and she coined the passion economy and then wrote a ton about the ownership economy. And it really like resonated with me. I don't want to get like too deep into it here, but, um, that's part of my podcast playlist. And I think it's finding what resonates with you in terms of like ideology and idea. And then like, that will naturally sprout your own ideas, regardless of whether you like front to back understand like the ins and outs of protocols and like layer ones and layer twos and like tokens and stuff like that. I think like that's good context to have, but then the more interesting part is finding who resonates with you and building community with those people, which is like essentially if, if like my web three journey is boiled down to anything, it's that it's just finding the right people, building community, and then just like being very loud on social media about the way that we think um, because we don't look like the tech pros, you know, like, and, um, and I think that that's, you know, if, if I would like, if I have the opportunity to encourage any artists to take up space and be loud about your opinions on the future of technology, like, please like run with it. 
Yes. I, I love that. And I think that that's a, such a wonderful step because I think the idea of like, okay, well, do I, you know, do I have to make this like an instantly a marketable thing right away? I think that intimidates a lot of people. And I have found, you know, I found Legion through you and I have absolutely loved listening to what I, I don't have a ton of action that I've done with NFTs. I have like my own story about it, but I'll, I'll get into it in a minute, but I have found, you know, even almost just like as a, a way to find some, some of that earned optimism amongst all the like seemingly horrible news that keeps coming out. Like, even if just for that, I've so enjoyed kind of doing a little bit of what you're saying, which is sort of stay a little bit studied up on it. Just find people who are like saying, you know, bringing optimism and bringing, you know, a more nuanced approach to these technologies. And, you know, you don't have to participate or crowdfund necessarily, but I do, I think that if I had one takeaway from this episode, at least it would be, don't stay away from it just because it seems techie or intimidating or the flash in the pan that was NFTs or, you know, have scared you off that I think that there's good things happening and good people are always showing up and, you know, just to stay plugged into that. But if we could pivot a little bit with Legion and sort of the creator economy, I'm so glad you brought her up. I have found a lot of what she said to be really interesting. And I actually think it gives me some optimism on the whole AI front a little bit, you know, chat GPT, Dolly, those are sort of that, you know, they can write anything or like it can come up with any image. And I think there's some artists who naturally are a little apprehensive about those technologies. After all, a lot of painters and illustrators and printmakers, this is going to seem like uh, very familiar because cameras had this happened what a hundred years ago for our you know for artists and so this sounds very familiar and entire illustration teams were laid off of advertising agencies and I think that there is some some maybe warranted anxiety around that and I always want to take a beat to sort of say anytime we move towards automation and don't equal out that progress with sort of a class conscious approach and an awareness that we live in a system that people's income is directly tied to their labor. And when you threaten to cut that labor, especially people who sort of are more vulnerable and behind the scenes, you really, you know, as promising as the technology may seem, I always feel kind of wormy not acknowledging that that is an important part of a lot of our conversations around AI. I totally agree. And that's like, I think that's like the part where that's such a tightrope to walk with the future of technology and the creative industries. Cause like, you know, as a creative myself, like I entered the advertising industry and, you know, I saw like very deeply the non-art world um, ties between creativity and capitalism, like for better or worse. And I think it's like really important to keep that in mind. I also think like ethics are a really like important conversation to keep in mind when it comes to these technologies. Um, I like when the conversation of AI like really started bubbling up in the last year or so, I kept like fantasizing about a world where we didn't have to go so fast with it. Like I think the race the AI wars, like even that terminology yeah. is so crazy. <laughs> yeah. like, that forces to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why does it have to be that way? And the answer is because of, you know, capitalism and making money and winners and losers. And like, that's the system that we live in. And I think like, I crave so deeply a world in which like we see that this technology exists and we can like, 
we can like walk around it and be like, oh my gosh, cool. Like, well, what can I do here? Like, like a playground. Mm. But I think, and I think that we can have that mindset, but there's also the very stark reality that it is a race and like, it's very hard to keep up with both of those like mindsets. And so like, I kind of like waffle a little bit back and forth, but ultimately, like if we're playing the long game, I think that um, just like web three, it's a very, it's, it's a blank canvas and yes, we should keep fighting for um, fairness under capitalism and like maybe dismantle it one day and we should and we should continue the conversations around ethics like all of this and be mindful of the harmful manifestations of these technologies while like maintaining that childlike wonder on like playing with it and AI as cool as it is it does not have um a human's vision, like to dream, you know, and to uh, maybe it will make like the rendering of that vision a little bit different, but the ideas, like we don't even know what's possible with it, you know, and just um, playing in that headspace, I feel like is, is fun. Like I just played with mid journey over the last week and I was just like, wow, this is, this is crazy. And I will say also, like, I don't know, this is very, timely and I don't know when this episode is going to be released but the Hollywood executives right now yeah. are pushing back against the writer's strike and saying like well fine then AI is going to write the scripts no <laughs> that's not how this works AI is going to replace and this, I cannot remember who posted a TikTok about this but I loved it she, she's a writer AI is going to replace the jobs of the people who yeah. are at the top analyzing the data like yes, I saw that <laughs> yes. so there's actually like so much power for artists in this moment. And I just don't want that to get lost at all. <laughs> no, I, I totally, so the, I, I totally agree. I, everything you just said is really profound because I think, okay. So I read this article recently and it was talking about how the four traits that are going to survive as they put it again, in these really horrific terms, but the AI apocalypse, this is why we need more women in this space and more people who oh know my God. <laughs> in war terms. But anyways, I, but the qualities were curiosity, humility, self-awareness, and compassion. And um, it's so funny because as an artist, especially particularly a painter who technically a camera could do everything I do a thousand times better if your view of better is shaped by capitalism, which is more accurate, more efficient, quicker, less cost, right? All of those sort of metrics. But if your metrics are self-awareness, humility, humanness, compassion, empathy, then in that capacity, an artist will do it better. And I think, you know, the kind of promising thing about the future in regards to artists is I actually think AI again, if we take the, and I don't want to guise over it, like the, the human first, make sure people aren't like losing their jobs. And we know what that looks like, at least in the United States, how horrific that can look. But if we can mitigate that very serious concern, I actually think it can be very promising. The idea is that artists, you know, I think will thrive outside of, you know, when so many of them don't have to do sort of that nine to five. I just think that class, the, the career class sort of conversation, it's so hard to tease out. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just incredibly difficult curious what you think about that yeah I mean I okay like this is actually really interesting because it makes me realize 
And I'm still, um, I have many years since I graduated college, um, but like just thinking about the gatekeeping that happens in the art industry, I believe that access to a phone and some sort of a tablet or a computer is far more than the access to a super expensive tuition. And I don't want to knock art institutes. I really don't. I think that like education is one of the most amazing things about society, but just given the um, inaccessibility to many communities to access that education, the advancements of technology make it so that many more communities can participate in creativity. Yes. And, um, and then if you add in like the ownership conversation that we were having earlier can like, you know, shift the art world towards in that direction so that it's like artists have the power and the ownership. And I don't know what that's gonna look like, but I think, you know, to your point, like it's not all like roses and, you know, sunshine and rainbows when it comes to this stuff, because we do live in the system. And I think, I think it's the system that makes us feel doom and gloom because if we didn't have the system, we'd be like, oh my God, amazing. Like robots right. do all, thank you. <laughs> my robot bestie is doing, all of my all of my grunt work and writing all my recipes and all of that stuff. But if you're a creative person, um, you just have more access to more possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and I can absolutely attest to that in the sense of if not for Instagram, I wouldn't have an art career, like full stop. So I graduated undergrad with an art degree, um, 2014. And I remember my painting professor who he was like, a, he graduated with his master's at school of visual art in New York. He shows, you know, work. He's like a real deal artist. And mm -hmm. he sat us, the, the graduating seniors down and he was like, listen, the only way to make it as an artist. And he was not one for hyperbole, but he was like, is to go to a big city, a London, New York, San Francisco, LA and pound pavement, rub elbows, meet people, schmooze, network, 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 of course, make art. But the most important thing is proximity. And that's physical proximity. So whenever, you know, my uh, husband got a job writing down in Austin, you know, a decent city, but very much a tertiary art city. And I found myself pregnant right after I graduated. I was in this position where I was like, really pretty sad because I really wanted to do art. But I felt like, I, I, I had lost my ability. Like I was, I was done for, but I, you know, while I was breastfeeding and cooped up on the phone and I drew a little bit of art every day, I did like a one drawing a day for starting in 2016. I started posting and connecting and finding community. Cause it really wasn't about my, I didn't have a ton of followers for years, but it, I did, I found a local gallery. I found people who ended up becoming my like long-term collectors from all over the United States, all over the world, actually, just from being on my phone, being on Instagram. And the crazy thing about this, cause this would have been 2016, 2015 is like a few years prior, Instagram was really tag your friends, post your lunch. Like it was not what we'd consider like a business platform. Like it almost kind of is now. So I, I, maybe that's my bias, but I, I really see a lot of future in technology because I've lived that success in some capacity. Yeah. I mean, I think like humans will always want to connect and like that, whether you are in a big city uh, or whether you are in 
you know, a less populated city and are using the internet to connect or like circumstances that I can't even imagine because they're not in the future or they're in the future. Like we, we are creatures that like want to socialize. And I think like when I, you know, and like the evolution of Instagram from like, Hey, here's what I'm doing to like full on, you know, commerce platform is, you know, par for the course for like, (laughs) I mean, um, but you know, it starts with connection. I think the same is with TikTok. And I think the same is with like any form of expressing who you are and like what your vision is that attracts people. And I think that that is like, we're not even in the Friendster or MySpace of web three or AI, like we're so not even there yet. So like, we haven't even like reached that point yet. Um, and so like the ability to dream big with how these technologies can manifest and have a seat at the table and use social media to be loud and like express our opinions about them, I think is magnificent. And yes, I do think that there's a lot of doom and gloom about them because it's the unknown. Mm-hmm. And like fear is a great clickbait tactic. Like, mm-hmm. and that's how the media makes their money, you know? And, but like critical thinking and figuring out like what you think as an artist and what, you know, what's, what, what makes you curious about this stuff and who do you want to talk to about it, you know, versus just like consumption, consumption, consumption. And then you like kind of think that you have an idea about it. Um, I think that there's so much opportunity to just like, you know, play around with it. And if it doesn't resonate, that's fine. Like, that's okay. That's okay too. Um, but yeah, I think I was like going off on a tangent. So I'll no, I, I, I love your perspective. I think it's really exciting. And I, you know, I completely agree with a lot of the optimism. And again, I'm always really careful because it's like optimism, but again, the system kind of, yeah. I understand where the anxiety and, and, and all of that can kind of manifest, but you know, another sort of core belief I have in people, in addition to the fact that I think that most people are creative in some capacity is that, you know, someone said, and I don't think they meant it in a good way, actually, but they sort of were, it was the person, I don't know if you've seen on TikTok, but it was a guy who walks around the street and asks people oh, if their job I is going to be automated by AI. And it's always like PR people. And anyways, I don't know how I feel about it, but you know, he was basically telling people that we are in the wake of, of the industrial revolution, that tractors are about to be built. And we're all basically in his analogy, farmers. And, you know, we're standing on the precipice of all of us losing our jobs sort of to speak, but you know, when we had the industrial revolution, people shifted and it sort of for good or for bad move technology pretty far. Again, it reflects the systems at large. So some of it's good, some of it's not. But, you know, I also think that one sort of reason for automation all throughout history books is it frees up people to have more free time to participate in arts, to create community, to create culture. And one thing, a theory I have about specifically the United States is that we are a culture that's sort of lacking in a lot of culture. And I think a lot of it is because we are so busy and we're on this hamster wheel. And, you know, I I wonder, you know, my optimism says that if a lot of those people sort of quote lost their jobs, again, I'm, I'm so aware that what I'm saying can come off a tone deaf, but I think it gives more people more space to be artists who maybe typically wouldn't consider themselves artists. 
Yeah, I mean, totally, yes. America's like super individualistic. And I don't think people want that. I think people like crave to like connect, you know? And are, aren't we, you know where my optimism comes from? Are we not so tired of the man on the street screaming about fear? Like whether it's like the rapture or, you know, like our, that's such a tired trope to me. And it's just the same, like the same guy, different shirt, different day different thing to be scared of like there's creativity in creating your visions through whatever medium yeah is at your fingertips and like this is a new medium that is not fully formed yet and like to fear monger is just like such a classic I'm so sorry like cis male trope yeah and where I think like not to get like spiritual or whatever you do yeah I think that like feminine energy mm-hmm. is like super chaotic but create creation energy like you create you you see what's destroyed and you rebuild like there's a lot of rebirth rebuild energy that we can tap into regardless of like your gender. That was just like the feminine energy thing, but like, and there's nothing wrong with masculine energy either, but I feel like the toxic male, like screaming into a megaphone about like fear, look where that got us. We're like, we hate each other. We're so divided. And like, I just, it's refreshing to exist outside of that fear it's actually super radical to have to exist with like radical optimism and to your point like that optimism is not just like oh la-di-da like everything's fine (laughs) no that optimism is saying like I and my community we can dream up different frameworks for the future and like we can exist in those and we can live in those and create from those frameworks versus accepting the fear mongering and the existing systems. Like we can create new systems. Yeah, absolutely. No. And I, I, you know, I see it with, I see little glimpses of it with, with web two or like social media, you know, I think it's exciting to think about what would happen if we can call it feminine energy, but like the, the, the sort of not default way of, of thinking, um, you know, if that had time and space, because I keep having this picture of like, all we want to do as people is just like sit around in a, in a circle and braid each other's hair. I'm just, I'm just thinking, Yeah. (laughs) but I, you know, I feel like we, it's, it's that, that's kind of the, I don't know, the energy or the feel that we need to sort of aim towards. And I think of with social media, you know, one of my favorite people is um, this activist, I think it's called Beauty to the Streets. And she uses social media and lives and other forms of sort of this visual activism that happens on her social media platform to create a way to give food back and sort of a sustainable in the sense that she brings in money, way to, to help feed people. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping for some kind of like UBI, but, you know, you just can never hold your, hold your breath. But, you know, if more people have more space to be creative, and I don't just mean like paint pictures or build ceramics, but creative in the sense of 
forming community, you know, creating new systems, finding, you know, I'm always sort of spitballing. Like I, my dream is to have like this big apprenticeship sort of thing. And so I can teach other people how to be artists. Um, but I'm constrained by limitations that a lot of, I think technology can help me with. And a lot of constraints, you know, that like having to fight with the algorithm all day long, really, you know, I struggle with. And, you know, if I can look towards a future that's more optimistic and says, hey, here's a decentralized platform where you can always sort of engage with people who are most excited and you don't have to fight an algorithm. And, oh, here is technology that makes half of your admin stuff take half the time. You know, I could implement those things. And so it's so hard to be, it's so hard to always be on the side of the optimist because you're proof, you're having to fight and articulate and find words for things that literally don't exist yet. And so I find that it's a tremendously difficult place to be in, but I also know in my core um, that it's the right place to be in. E even if those things don't come to fruition, it's the better, it's it's so much easier to be the man in the street with the the bell and the clipboard and the doomsday because you're 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 painting dystopian pictures from the past. But when you're fighting for the future, it's the more creative route, it's the more challenging route. But I also know that it is in my opinion, the right route to go. Oh, sorry, that just, oh. <laughs> I'm, yes. it's the more human yeah. route. Yeah. It's, it's the more human route. And um, that's, that's like exactly, I feel like you summed up my, <laughs> my ideology very well is that it's the optimism to like create new systems and like new ways of living outside of what we're living now and 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 the system works really well that we have right now it, it works so well when we doom and gloom like it mm -hmm. wants that and so that's why it's like so radical to dream a little bit bigger and experiment you know outside of the realm of the algorithms that we have like ideally and on a decentralized web you create your own algorithm it's yours and we're not really there yet. I think like that new app, Blue Sky is kind of teetering on that. And although I'm not like the most knowledgeable, but yeah, like how can technology enable your vision to come to life is like such a good place to start. Um, and I don't think everyone has the answer to everything because like these technologies are so nascent, but these human visions um, will never go away. And that human desire to connect, never going to go away. The human desire to create and, you know, to commune is never going to go away. Um, the human desire to solve problems and to help people also. And so I think like you do see that on social media and people are using, you know, like Keith Lee, like social media to empower like small businesses and like basically be like the best PR ever for food trucks. <laughs> um, but you know, like that's where creativity like really lies, it, whether you are a traditional artist or a create a creator of your own visions, like whatever they are. So yeah, beautifully yeah. said. Oh, thank you. And I got, I follow a lot of who, you know, it's all like coming back to you because you've shared a lot of really amazing resources over the years, but to bring it back to the human element, because I do think that's kind of the meat of it. I wanted to also talk about something else I sort of love about, you know, the internet and, and technology and the potential of web three, and that is the ability to connect globally and really, um, and oh gosh, I could talk, I mean, that's, that's its own huge conversation, but you know, I think we've seen a little bit of it, even with like web two or social media, where 
things that happened in the other part of the, I, I grew up watching a lot of the news hours. So like news was on all the time. Um, and when something would happen in another part of the world, I, I would feel bad, but it would feel so far away that, you know, I like to consider myself a fairly empathetic person, but there was always sort of this, like, I can only care about it for an hour or two or three, or maybe a week at most. And it's, and it's a flaw and it's a personal flaw, but I found with the, with, um, you know, social media, now I have artist friends who live in other parts of the world. And I see them when things are good. And I see them when things are bad. And I have this human connection with them. And again, maybe it's a, a personal flaw of mine, but like when something happens, I feel tremendously more like affected by it. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to make it seem like I'm talking about me, but I think I wonder if this happens with other people. And I feel like when things happen in other parts of the world, we're all a little more inclined, like we're be- the world is becoming smaller. And there we go. I could have synthesized that way easier. <laughs> no, I know um, you. <laughs> but I, I find so much potential because we're still even, you know, you have an American audience when you're on TikTok because it algorithms your audience to an American Like I am so excited with the potential of Web3 for what it can help us with and engaging with the entire world. And even with the, the you know advent of AI, eventually, I can't imagine that the technology to be able to talk to other people fairly quickly, if not instantly, through this AI technology is just at our fingertips. So the idea that we, like, I could not only have people who I'm engaged with as an artist in these sort of Anglo, you know, English speaking parts of the world, but now I can connect with everyone. Like I can imagine as someone who's in web three, like that's not on your mind also. And like, what potential do you see there and connecting and making the world more global, but more specifically so that it can be more fair and we can all kind of fight for each other instead of having this like weirdly nationalistic sort of flavor that we have right now. No, that's so real. I mean, I, I'm so grateful to the internet. I'm I'm super grateful to social media because to your point, like when we are presented with like news segments about other parts of the world, like that's data and it's not like people and it's really hard to humanize that experience. But when the experience is firsthand and you are able to, I mean, the concept of the metaverse is really interesting to me because I feel like we're already like we are on a zoom call right now you know like we're already able to participate or observe or follow along on like real life day-to-day journeys of people who we would never meet otherwise whether they're like just like different identities or around the world and I think that that is incredible and I think that where it gets very interesting and like power to the people is that 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 like in and of itself like that connection is so so powerful that it scares certain like totalitarian governments um like for example I'm Iranian and the Iranian people are still undergoing like a massive revolution to overthrow their like extremely cruel murderous regime that they've had for 40 years but they would not be as successful as they are and yes revolutions take a long time I think it started in September and now we're in May but that revolution wouldn't have like no one would hear about it because the Iranian government like 
shuts down the ability for Iranians to use social media, but humans like to connect and there are there are ways to get the word out. I won't like spill their beans yeah. here, but there are ways. And we on the other side are able to like signal boost and spread their stories and um, bring light to like real human situations where a news segment might give it like two seconds and probably, you know, regurgitate some sort of like state sponsored message. Like we cut through that. We're able to like cut through that noise. And I don't know what that's going to look like necessarily for the future, like with web three and AI, but I think that that is one of like the biggest benefits of the internet and, you know, social media, which is web two, that we we know how powerful that is. I mean, look at the TikTok ban. Like we just we just know how powerful that is as a people. And that is something I think that we should all be fighting for the right to have because the right not to be able to connect digitally is I feel like an erasure. And like, I'm, I'm gonna use like a very extreme word because I believe it and it, it is a form of genocide mm -hmm. because every voice deserves to be heard you know, whether you are in a super conservative state and your government is, um, you know, blocking the right to say that you're gay <laughs> or whether you are in Iran and the government is blocking the right for you to express yourself and send messages to the world. Like that is a human rights violation. And knowing that policymakers are not as up to speed or are in full on fear about these futures, I think like the power is like so in the hands of the people um, to keep this access going and to keep opening the world up. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I, I mean, beautifully said, and sometimes I, I marvel at the fact that we're still allowed to have social media. I almost wonder if the commerce thing wasn't as big of a juggernaut, if like, I don't know, it feels like the you know, it, it feels so benign. And so like, you know, every day you get on your phone and you check your, your status and it just feels so commonplace, but it really is kind of the most radical thing we have access to. And, you know, it's what gives me again, that earned optimism in, in that community will, will be the thing that gets us kind of out of this hard place. But yeah, I mean, I think with the TikTok ban in particular, I didn't watch the hearing. I think the hearings happened when I was like teaching a retreat. So I like saw it sort of on my periphery, but the, you know, I couldn't tell if it was an intentional, like them not being aware kind of how the, the technology worked or what, but it was, it was interesting to see, you know, something that felt like, so, cause in, in everyday life, especially like as someone who like, I kind of work on the internet, like, I feel like that's where my job exists. Um, and then when I go around everyday life, there is still sort of this, especially from maybe older, you know, people sometimes this sort of, well, the internet's not real or it's fake or it's silly or it's for young people or dancing or whatever. And then you see it be on kind of prime time, like being debated at this national policy level. You know, I feel like sometimes that gives us a little bit of a spotlight on the fact that people are aware of how powerful social media is. I don't think at we are always aware of how powerful social media is and not just in sort of that way that we can connect to everyone else. But again, in that like 
it's hard to fight for something when it's like still hasn't been realized it's in the future. It's all, it's built through optimism, but yeah, I, I think, you know, everything you said was, was spot on. And I think, you know, we're headed towards a more global wor- world. And I know that that always seems like a, it's been, we've been propagandized to think that that's somehow a bad thing, but I think that that's an absolutely amazing thing. And, you know, it even kind of brings me to another point that I'm, I'm curious what your insights on, I'm curious what you think about is to pivot slightly, uh, you know, there's a lot of um, conversation with the new uh, chat GPT specifically that how the app was sort of not app, but the, how, how the technology was sort of formulated was using the exploited labor of people in, I believe, Kenya to filter out because it plugs into the internet and the internet has a bunch of, what is it called? Dark web. So it, they, they, there was a lot of people who their job was to sort of filter out more seedy, not palatable content or data to make it primed for Western audiences. And, you know, on another point, there's this conversation around how the blockchain uses a ton of energy. I mean, so does the internet or, you know, the internet and all that stuff. But I'm curious, you know, people who tend to be more progressive and who I think would be very enticed by the idea of like our future can happen in web three or like promising things are on the horizon. If we sort of invest in this technology, they might be scared away from the technology. And I know I initially was because like with anything in, in our current day, it, there often is a nefarious sort of exploitative layer to it. And I'm wondering how you navigate that and like how you sort of contend with those, those issues, I guess. Yeah. I think that those conversations like are necessary. And I think that if you're, well, I'll just talk about myself. Like I do not, I will not accept my own self being like in the web three or like, you know, future technology space without welcoming skepticism. Cause like, well, then what kind of future is that? (laughs) If you're just like, if you're just like, no, everything's fine. No, no. I think like skepticism is necessary. And I actually like really appreciate it (laughs) my cat has entered the chat um because without without skepticism then how like what are we talking about and how can we foster understanding you know um so so i'm you know it's mother's day and i'm with my cat so your baby (laughs) um Sorry, to go back to that though, I think that I think that it's 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 all one. Like it's not one or the other. And I think that um I get really turned off by people who perceive that healthy skepticism as like being a hater. Um I will, however, say that you know, we should also be skeptical about how the media drives very polarizing, um, you know, reactions to these technologies, whether it's for their clicks and their revenue, or whether it's because they know it's very powerful and like the less people involved, the better. like for example, this has nothing to do with art. I'm sorry, but this no, you're you good. Know, the, the, like a cryptocurrency um, being introduced into like the American banking system 
called a CBDC or like Fed now, that's not on the blockchain. But they like don't say that. That's that's digital currency that is used to track you. So, but it's being conflated with mm-hmm. cryptocurrency, which is actually like yours and permissionless and trustless. Mm-hmm. So it's like the less people know about crypto, the more they're just going to believe <laughs> what the like authorities say about digital currency taking over the dollar, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, these conversations about like energy and um, content moderation and questioning them are like those are the those are the ones that should be at the forefront. Those, yes, like absolutely. But the absolutism on either ends, I think like won't get us very far. Like the, I hate it or I love it so much. There's nothing better than this and like whatever. I think like bringing those together and like having those hard conversations is something that like we would all benefit from. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what we were, you know, what you said at the very beginning, which is like the importance of just kind of being aware and plugged in. Like, you know, so I, um, I was really excited about NFTs because I've forever ago, one of my like first crushes, um, got really into like, it would have been in like 2007 into Bitcoin, like way, way, way long ago. And I remember kind of loving it because it was, I, you know, I grew up low income. And so like, I kind of hated banks growing up because they were always screwing my mom. Um, and we, you know, super like every penny mattered and they would do like bounce check, like just really like, it wasn't just my mom, you know, it was like the bank was doing very intentionally terrible things and kind of putting us in a position where like sometimes we couldn't eat. So I I had a chip on my shoulder about banks to begin with. And so whenever um, this friend was sort of explaining what blockchain was and like everyone sort of, he said like is holding a little piece of it at the same time. And because of mining, we're all kind of keeping an eye on each other. And there's no like one person kind of holding the whole thing together. And I've always liked that. I've always thought that that was really cool. So I've kind of had my eye on it. And then NFTs came around and it was kind of an extension of this and, you know, source funding and all all these things sounded really enticing to me. Well, I built a collection of disco ball NFTs. They were like gifts basically worked really hard on it. And, you know, I, the guilt is on me because I did not do my research enough. But of course I learned how at that time specifically how bad for the environment, particularly the mining is. And I I didn't do it. I didn't release the collection. I still have the gifts. I think I put them on the, I think I put them on Giphy. So, you know, anyways, but, um, but I, I also wasn't in a position where I didn't want to completely walk away from it. I was kind of like, I still think that there's something here. And so, you know, if somebody is really, you know, freaked out about the environmental aspect. I think what you were saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is like, you don't have to start NFTs, you know, to be part of it and to be aware of it, that there is power in just being aware of what's going on and like really plugged in and yes, stay critical, but having people who are aware of what's going on and who haven't completely like clapped their hands and walked away from it, I think puts the pressure on people to find technologies that are less bad for the environment or to keep an eye on people who are doing things that are bad for the environment or whatever your your kind of sticking point is that to just sort of say, oh, this is bad and kind of give up on the whole thing actually doesn't help the problem. And there's ways to stay involved that don't require you to put out a collection of NFTs. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I will say that like the reason why I'm such an advocate of, um, skepticism is that that conversation about the environment drove one of the um, ecosystems, Ethereum, to create 
a less environmentally like bad cryptocurrency mining yeah. system um and also other cryptos like solana which are like pretty much closer to as close to carbon neutral neutral as possible so like that's why i'm such an advocate of like with a little bit of education and um consideration for the harmful effects to be like super loud about it i think this is where like community i think like the whole if there's like one thread that ties all this together is like the power of community to make change with technology yeah. like we don't have to just accept how it is like we can urge and ask and push for things to be better um even if we're not making nfts or even if we're not technologists yeah um yeah and so even like with nfts like i think that like a very interesting everyone thought that like art was going to put NFTs on the map or like brand activations were going to put NFTs on the map. What I actually think NFTs are very cool. <laughs> like the coolest part of an NFT is like, it's probably going to help us with like some super annoying real life stuff. Like um, California just put car titles on the blockchain as NFTs, meaning like you can own it. It's in your quote wallet and you will be able to like transfer it on your own, you know? And then there's like this other conversation about like medical records and stuff like that. Like you don't like own them. You have to call and like the process is so laborious and like these are real life things that the blockchain can assist with in addition to art, like in addition to creativity. And so I think that like that, and, but, but I think that's creative. Like, I do think that that's yeah. like a creative pursuit. It's not as like fun, um, but it does like help people. And, you know, I think, especially with AI too, like one of the other problems with AI is um, the pretending to be another race conversation is really harmful. Um, but due to the widespread information sharing of an algorithm like TikTok, like we're able to like bring it up and then that gets kind of like, that's in the collective consciousness. That one issue is, I guess, solved for mm -hmm. now, but is like on people's radars. Whereas like in the beginning of social media, we didn't have this collective like hive mind of information where we could like checks and balance each other. So I feel like I'm very pro social media as a way to talk about and like share ideas and use collective action for like influencing the future, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think it keeps coming back to, to community and humans. And it's so funny that it's a conversation about AI and like the cherry on top, the sort of, if you can sum it all up, is like people first. And I think yeah. that that's like a perfect way to sort of view the technology is it's not a replacement of humans, but if we can let it, and if we can work towards it and do the hard work that it's actually refocusing our current system back to humans in a way. And it, it hopefully optimistically. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to say a humongous thank you for you being here. And I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. Um, but I, I wanted to give you a moment to, you know, where can people find you? Where, where you, how do people stay up to date with you? What are you up to? Um, let me know how I can direct people towards you. Yeah. Okay. So I am on TikTok at future Lilith and 
I'm also on Twitter, but I'm really thinking about uh, taking the leap like away from Twitter soon, but I'm Kiana Moods on there. I know my brand is like so many names, so many different things, but Kiana Moods, you can find me on most platforms, Instagram and Twitter and Blue Sky. And then on TikTok, I'm Future Lilith. And really, I just talk about these topics and like um ethics and human-centric futurism and um I'm always going to be your girl reminding you to harness childlike wonder and radical imagination um as we all participate in the creation of the future that is equitable and a positive experience for all of us Beautiful. Thank you. And I will put all of that in the show notes as well as your list of podcasts, which by the way, is a just fantastic resource. Thank you so much for, for putting energy into that. And Mm -hmm. thank you again for being here. Take care. Have a great rest of your day. Can't wait to keep chatting with you. And yeah, thank you again. Thank you so, so much for having me. I wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who has taken the time to leave a review. I cannot emphasize enough how helpful this is for a podcast in its first season. Today, I would like to say thank you to Katie from Raquel Design Company. That's at R-A-Q-U-E-L-D-E-S-I-G-N-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y. Thank you so much for your review. Again, it's so helpful. If you would like to have your handle read off on next week's episode, be sure to 